0: Hello, welcome to the podcast of Chesper Baptist Church. This morning we're going to take a look at the chapter of 2 Timothy 2, and we're going to see some things that Paul is trying to tell us that every believer should be. The title of the message this morning is What is a Believer? Please enjoy. If you have places in 2 Timothy, if you're physically able, I'm going to ask you one last time to stand in respect and reverence for the Word of God. We're going to read the first seven verses of 2 Timothy chapter 2. Although this morning we're going to kind of look at the whole chapter. The Bible says, Thou therefore, my Son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. The same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that it may please him who hath chosen him to be a good soldier. And if a man also strive for the masteries, yet he is not crowned, except he strive lawfully. The husbandman that laboreth must be partaker of the fruits, Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. The title of the message this morning is, What is a Believer? Let's Let's pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we're so thankful once again for the opportunity that we have to hear the preaching of your word. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us today. Lord, I pray that you'd clear our minds and our hearts and let us focus solely on what the word of God has to tell us this morning. Be with our service today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> now I use this illustration often, but we all wear different hats. We all wear different hats. Some of us, we, 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 we all wear the, house, the hats of being a spouse, a brother, a sister, a child, a parent. We wear the hat of, some of us wear the hat of employee. Some of us wear the hat of employer. Sometimes in the house when the kids get us straight, we got to be doctor and nurse. We all wear different hats from time to time, and that's fine. It can get a little confusing when you try to wear more than one hat at once, though. It can get a little confusing. But here in this uh, passage of Scripture, we have 2 Timothy, and 2 Timothy was written by Paul. While he was imprisoned in Rome. So Paul is imprisoned in Rome and is writing another letter to Timothy. Now Timothy is his son in the ministry. Timothy is a preacher boy. Timothy has been, uh, has been uh, uh, looking up to Paul for a very long time. And Paul has been mentoring Timothy. Timothy. And here in the books of 1 and 2 Timothy, what Paul is trying to tell Timothy and what Paul is trying to teach Timothy is how to be a good minister, how to be a good preacher. But here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, what Paul is saying is, Look, Timothy, before you're a good preacher, before you're a good minister, you got to know how to be a good Christian. you got to know how to be a good believer. And here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to take a look at this chapter this morning. And in this chapter... Paul gives us seven characteristics of a believer. These are seven hats that every believer must wear. Now, if you're not wearing one of these hats, either you're not a believer or you're a backslidden believer. But every believer has to wear these seven hats. And we're going to talk about these seven characteristics this morning. I've got seven points this morning, so I'm not going to dilly-dally. We're going to jump right into it this morning. Point number one, the believer is a son. The believer is a son. Uh, Verse number one, thou therefore my son be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. How do we become sons of God? Now the Bible says sons, but it means daughter or child of God. But I'm going to say sons because that's what the verse says. But how do we become sons of God? Well, from a human side, from our side of it, from our perspective, it's very simple. We become sons when we receive Christ. It's it's, it's that simple. You become a child of God, you become a son or daughter of God when you receive Christ. John one twelve. as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. We become a child of God by simply receiving him. It's that simple. That's why, that's why the Bible says that it, you know, it's so easy for a child to get saved, to have the faith of a child. When you're a child, it's the best time for you to get saved as well because you have that faith. And your pride's not getting into the way. And so how we receive him is basically, this is all we do. We say, I choose Christ. From our standpoint, all we have to do to become a son or child of God is say, I choose Christ. Well, that's from our side of it. Let's let's look at it from the divine side. Let's look at it from God's side of it. How how did we become sons of God from the divine side? From the divine side, from God's side, we become sons of God by new birth. John 1.13 which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, from our perspective, we chose him. But from his perspective, he chose us. See, the Bible talks about the elect. We believe in the elect. Why? Because it's all throughout this Bible. The word elect is all throughout this Bible. And the elect are those whom God has chosen. Now here's the thing, I always have to, when I talk about elect, we always got to put a disclaimer right here at the bottom of the screen. Okay, we are not Calvinists. That means we do not believe that, okay, God said one day, okay, all, I'm going to create all these people and all these people are going to go to heaven. And I'm going to create all these people and all these people are going to go to hell. And I'm going to decide that before they're created, before they're born. That's Calvinism and we don't believe that. We all have free choice. We all have free will. The only way, the reason why there's an elect, and the only reason why we're predestined, the Bible's very clear it's out of the foreknowledge of God. You see, God knows who was going to accept him, and God knows who was going to reject him, and that's how he made his decision on who the elect was going to be. That's how he made his decision who the predestined was going to be was out of the foreknowledge was out of his foreknowledge was God knows everything. But that still doesn't negate the fact that God chose us. We became children of God because he chose us. So it's very simple. We chose him and he chose us. That's how we become the sons of God. Okay, so we're the sons of God. What do we do now? What do we do with this? Let's read the verse again. Thou therefore my son... Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's what a son or daughter or child of God must do. Be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. We cannot lose our sonship. if, um, if my, There's nothing my kids can do to not be my kids anymore. If one of my sons kills somebody and goes to prison... Well, that's bad, but that doesn't change the fact that he, I'm still their father and they're still my son. If they take me to court and emancipate me and divorce and emancipate themselves from me and divorce themselves from me, there may be a court document, there may be a piece of paper, but that doesn't change the fact that they're my son and I am their father. They can do nothing to affect sonship. That is, that is you know, They will forever be my kids. Just like that, there's no way we can lose our sonship with Christ. There's nothing we can do to make that sonship relationship go away. We will forever be his children. That will not change. Once we become a child of God, we are forever a child of God. So I can't change my sonship, but what can I affect? I can affect my fellowship. I can affect my fellowship with him. Man, if, if my kid did kill somebody and went to prison, my, the sonship isn't going to change, but man, the fellowship is going to drastically change. He's going, only going to see me twice a year when I bring him pineapple cake with a file in it. The only time it's the only time he's, he's going to see me. So our, our fellowship is going is to be drastically changed. But the sonship cannot be changed. In order to be strong in the grace of Jesus Christ, we need to make sure we don't put anything in our lives that's going to break that fellowship. If we don't break that fellowship, then, we, then the closer we are to him, the more, the more we'll grow in his grace. You know, it also says to be strong in that grace. You know, you get, of course, we say this all the time, you get stronger at something by exercising it. You, the, the more you use something, the stronger it'll get. I can tell you from experience that it takes weeks and weeks of working out at the gym to be able to lift more weight. You got to put a lot of work in to be able to get the ability to lift more weight. But you take one week off and it's going to hurt your progress. You, take, you just take one week off and it's going to set you back. We got this idea today that religion is a once a week thing. Religion is a once uh, you know, one day a week you have your religion, get it out of the way, I'll see you in eight days. Religion is not a once a week thing. Religion is an everyday thing. As good believers, as good sons or daughters in Christ, we need to find a way to express our religion to God every single day of our lives. One of the things I've been working on is I've been trying to increase my bench press. So instead of Left and set up bench pressing once a week, I've been doing it twice a week. I can already start to see an increase. Uh, you know, so if we want to grow in that grace, we've got to use it more often. We have sonship because he chose me and I chose him. But if we want to be a good son or daughter or child of God, we have to grow in that grace. Jude 121 says, Keep yourselves in the love of God. That's a good way to grow in grace. Keep yourself in the love of God. Here's the love of God right here. Keep yourself in the love of God. Show others the love of God. That's another way that you can grow in grace. But be forewarned. If you're not growing, you're what? You're dying. So if you're not growing in grace, that means you're going the other way. Let me warn you. If you go the other way, you're going to get a whooping. Bible says in Hebrews 12, 5-7, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as sons, for son is he whom the father chasteneth not. You know, if you sin against God, he's going to punish you. If you sin against God as his son or his child as a believer, if you sin, you're going to get a whooping, you're going to get chastised, you're going to get punished, get ready for it. But then verse 8 says, But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. If you can sin and you're never punished for it, you need to check yourself. If you can sin and you're never punished by God and you're never chastised by God and God never whips you for sinning, then you need to check your salvation because sons and children of God get punished for wrong, get punished for sin. We get chastised for it. You know, this is also a very good passage of Scripture to explain eternal security because if you can sin and lose your salvation then who's he going to chastise? If I sin and I lose my salvation and I become a bastard again, then how's he going to chastise me? Who's he going to punish? So the scripture teaches us that there are people who, who sin, and because they sin, they don't lose their sonship. You can't lose that, but they're punished, and the fellowship is broken. Okay? So, you know, it's uh, because if you sin and lose your salvation, then you're no longer a son and you can't be chastised. So this is a good passage of Scripture for eternal security. But as a child of God, what we're supposed to do is we are supposed to grow in grace. Everybody look at McKenna. Everybody stare at him. He tried to sneak in here. But I was getting done with one point, so I could stop. All right, point number two. The believer is a soldier. The believer is a soldier. Look at verse number four. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. As a soldier, we are to endure hardness. Man, Paul, Paul, Paul endured some hardness. He endured some hardness as a good soldier. Let me read for you 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three 23 through 27. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths off. Of the Jews, five times I received forty stripes, save one. Thrice I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, thrice I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen. In perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea. In perils among false brethren, in weariness, in painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Being a soldier for Christ is not a walk in the park. Being a soldier for Christ is not for the faint of heart. It's not for the faint of spirit. My stepbrothers in the army... He is the highest non-commission rank you can get. I think that's Master Sergeant. I believe my stepbrother is a Master Sergeant in the Army. He's been in there for over 20 years. He's trying to get out. He can't get out until he has a neck surgery. His neck is messed up, and the army's not going to let him go until he takes care of it. Well, you know, over 20 years of wearing 20-pound headgear and wearing a 140-pound pack, that takes a toll on the body. It's one of the reasons why he has to get... This surgery, it's not easy being a soldier. But let me tell you something, Jesus won't send us into battle ill-equipped. Ephesians 6 tells us that we have armor, that armor is our, lo- our loins girded with truth, the breast, breastplate of righteousness Shoes are the gospel, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Hey, he's not going to send us into a hot LZ without preparing us for battle. He's not going to send us into a war zone without giving us what we need to fight and survive. But don't get me wrong, just because even if you put on that whole armor, that doesn't mean it's going to be a walk in the park. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It's still going to be hard. It's still going to be tough. The Bible says in Philippians 1.29, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but to suffer for his sake. We are called as soldiers of Christ, we are called to suffer for his sake. But you know what, if you never take a stand, you'll never suffer. If you never take a stand, you'll never suffer. If we remain closet Christians because we're afraid the world's going to mock us and ridicule us, then we are not good soldiers for Christ. Just let me give you an an illustration. If you're at work, and I've experienced this in the secular world, if you're at work, and the guys around you are cussing pretty bad, and they're turning dirty jokes, and the Holy Spirit tells you to say something, but you know... That if you say, you know these guys, you know if you say something, you're going to make things worse. Say, oh man, this is going to get worse if I say something. Well, if you say something, only one of two things can happen. One, they'll say, oh, well, you know, man, I'm, I'm sorry. I apologize. We didn't realize we're going to stop doing that around you. That's one thing that could happen. But two, your worst fear could happen. You could say something and they could get worse. They could cuss more. They'll make things harder on you. You know, it doesn't matter what they do. We're still called to stand. It doesn't matter if if we suffer shame from this world. We're called to do that anyway. Acts 5.41 And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. We're called to endure shame from this world. This morning as I was... Trying to fix the computer, looked on Facebook real quick, and I saw a a friend of mine. Uh, I, I he's an acquaintance. He's a he's a pastor. He's the one who gave us the piano music, our new piano music, and uh, he's uh, on his Facebook page for the church. Yeah, somebody had put on the Facebook page that they don't recommend this church because. Uh, they're a bunch of Bible thumpers, and they are closed-minded, and they're homophobes, and they're, they say that if you don't believe in the one true God, you're going to go to hell. Man, somebody needs to shut this place down. And so my, but my friend, he took a screenshot, and he reposted it, and he said, I guess I'm doing something right, you know? We are called to suffer shame from this world as good soldiers. That's what we're called to do. But you know, the Bible says in Romans eight eighteen, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You know, the Bible says that the glory and reward that we will receive when the sufferings are over greatly outweigh, far outweigh the anguish of the conflict. Let me tell you something, it is going to be worth it. As soldiers, we are called to suffer shame for his name. So we need to stand up, and we need to take a stand for what's right. And if people mock us, and people ridicule us, and people put us down, praise the Lord for it, because we're called to suffer shame anyway. Verse number three, the believer is a contender. A believer is a contender. Verse number five, they man also strive for masteries, yet... He is not crowned unless he strive lawfully. What strive for the masteries means? It means to contend in games, to run in a race. All through the New Testament, Paul a lot of times goes back to the same illustration. So every time you hear me repeat an illustration, blame Paul. He did it first. Um, but you know, so throughout the New Testament, Paul constantly he, he refers back to this same illustration. And it's an illustration of a Roman amphitheater. And in this Roman amphitheater is a, is a race course. And there's a runner running on that race course. He mentioned it many times in Scripture. One place where he mentions it is in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Wherefore, seeing we're all so compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which dust so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let me tell you about this runner. This runner in this race, this contender, he lives for the race. The race is his whole life. He knows that if he has any chance of being fit for this race, that he's got to train and he's got to prepare Anybody else this runner knows? This contender? You know what he knows? He knows that if he eats something that's going to make him unfit for the race, that he, don't, he doesn't need to do it. So what does he do? He sets it aside. Anything that he could eat that would make him unfit for the race, he sets it aside. Anything that he could drink that would make him unfit for the race, he sets it aside. Anything he could do that would make his body unfit for the race, he sets it, sets it aside. We should do that too. We're in a heavenly race. We're in a heavenly, we're contending for the Lord. We're working for the Lord. Anything that's going to hinder our heavenly race, we've got to set it aside. We all sin. But also, we all have that one sin. We call it the sin that does so easily beset us. We call it our pet sin. Most sin is easy to give up. But this one sin, man, that one sin is hard to give up for each one of us. But if we want to run a good race for the Lord, if we want to be fit to run a good race for God, we've got to learn to lay that sin down because it's weighing us down and it's hurting our race. It also, This verse also says that we're compassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses. But what that means, that means they're witnesses in the stands. They're watching us. They're cheering us on. They've already run their race. They've already finished their course. Now they're watching us. Now they're cheering us on and they're saying, you can do it. Keep going. Don't stop. I know you can keep going. I know you can keep doing. I know you can keep running. When they were here running their, their race with us, they gave us valor and they inspired us. And, but now their course is over and they're watching us finish our race. mom and Papa's in the stands watching us. Mom and Daddy's in the stands watching us run the race. You know who else is up there watching us? And that's Jesus. He's at the finish line. Let me tell you something. We run this race. We're not running for the finish line. We're running for the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one we're running for. Our eyes and our gaze are fixed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Another time in Scripture where Paul uses this illustration is 1 Corinthians 9, 24-27. "'Know ye not that they which run, run in a race one all, but one receiveth the prize? "'So run that ye may obtain. "'And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. "'Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. "'I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air.' But I keep my, under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Two things I want you to notice here. First, I want you to notice that in this race, we have to keep our flesh in check. We have to keep our flesh in check. Nothing will hinder your race more than being run by your appetites. Now, when I say appetite, I'm not talking about food. An appetite is anything that your flesh desires. That's what an appetite is. And let, let me tell you something. Either you are going to run your appetites or your appetites are going to run you. And if we run a, run a, want to run a good race, we have to learn to say no to the flesh. We have to learn to keep beat our body and bring it into subjection. And you know what else? Second, I want you to notice the crown. The crown. The incorruptible crown, did you know that if you live a life that exudes saying no to the flesh, I'm not saying you have to say no to the flesh every single time. That's impossible. We're humans. We're sinners. We can't do that. But if you live a life as a whole that exudes saying no to the flesh, you will earn what is called an incorruptible crown. But that's not for us to keep. That's for us to lay at the feet of Jesus Christ because he is the one that is worthy. Let me tell you something, as a wrestler, as a runner, as a contender, I must strive lawfully. I must strive to keep his word as best as I can. Number four, the believer is a workman. The believer is a workman. Verse number 15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, I'm pretty good at changing oil. I've been doing it for a long time. I'm decent at plumbing. I did some plumbing when I was, uh, when I was a teenager, so I'm decent at it. I'm not the best solderer, or the mic can attest to that. But, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm decent at it. But you know what? If you gave me a pair of wire strippers and told me to do some electrical work, I'd be as lost as a blind goose in a hailstorm. Okay, I just, I am not good at electrical work. You know what this verse is saying? It's saying that a believer, it's saying that the workman must know his tools. If a workman doesn't know his tools, he's going to be ashamed. A workman needs to know his tools. Just as a believer needs to know that book. Because this is our tool. We're, as believers, we're workmen, and this is our tools, and we're to know it. We're to know our tools. Joshua one this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. A believer is a workman that is in need of daily Bible study. Read it. Talk about it. Study it. Meditate on it. Live it. If you're a workman, you've got to know your tool. Jeremiah 23, 29. It's not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh rock into pieces. You know what that's a picture of? That's a picture of a blacksmith forge. A blacksmith forge where somebody is building something. One of the things that I loved about Dollywood when we went up there was I like, the black, I like to watch the blacksmiths hammer the metal. The glass blowers blow the glass and go into the shops and see what they made. It's always fascinating to me, and I, I can't wait to show my boys that this year. But let me tell you something. If you want to build a strong marriage, you better use the Bible. If you want to build a strong family, you better use the Bible. You want to build some strong kids, you better use the Bible. You want to build a strong country, you better use the Bible. You want to build a strong church, you better use the Bible. You want to build a strong character that can withstand the temptation of sin, you better use the Bible. I'll tell you today, God will honor the use of His Word. Matthew 7, 24 and 25. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, that's the Word of God, And do with them, I will liken unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock, and the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. You want your marriage to fail, you leave out the word of God, never open it. You want your family to fail, never get them around the word of God to study it. You want your kids to fail, never teach them the word of God. I ain't talking about church teaching them the word of God. I'm talking about mom and daddy teaching them the word of God. You want your kids to fail, don't teach them the word of God. You want your country to fail, take the Bible out of the school. We did that a long time ago, and look where we are today. You want your church to fail, you leave out the word of God. Man, I'm all for worship music. I love worship music. But the second, the worship music takes the place of the preaching of the Bible, that church will fail. That's what churches are doing. They may grow in numbers, but they're failing in the eyes of the Lord, missing the point. Let me tell you something. Whatsoever is not builded on the word of God will surely fail. You know why the word of God is so effective? Effective. The word of God is so effective because it is so powerful. Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and the joints and marrow as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. A tomahawk missile doesn't have anything on the word of God. A Sherman tank doesn't have anything on the word of God. A Navy destroyer doesn't have anything on the Word of God. I'll tell you, a 100-ton, nuclear, megaton, nuclear bomb doesn't have anything on the Word of God. Do not underestimate the power of that book in your lap today. Say, Brother Brad, I don't have a book in my lap. Well, whose fault is that? Let me ask you a question. I'm not meaning to step on any toes this morning. But would you go to a gun range without a gun? Would you go to work without your tools? Why'd you come to church without a Bible? Now listen, I'm not picking on anybody. I don't know from Adam who in here has a Bible and who doesn't. But what I am saying, when you go to war, you bring your sword. When you go to battle, you bring your weapon. Brother Brett, I got a Bible on my phone. Well, I'm going to leave that alone. I'm going to let you and God work that out. No, I'm just kidding. Listen, if you got a way to read the Word of God in church, there's fine. Having a Bible on your phone is absolutely nothing wrong with it. It's, I, I can't show you chapter verse that it says it's wrong to have Bible on your phone. I have Bible on my phone. But you know what? For me, I look at it this way. Phone is a multitasker. I Man, not only is it your phone, it can be a Bible, it can be a calendar, it can be a calculator, it can be a Facebook. And you're going to have your phone on you. You'd sooner leave your left ear than your phone when you leave the house in the morning. You're going to have your phone on you no matter what. But the Bible is a unitasker. The only purpose of this book is to be the Word of God. And when you intentionally pick that up in the morning, I'm taking my Bible to church. I think God sees that. Something special about having that book. It's like, Brother Brad, What? what's so important? I'll tell you why this book is so important. because you can't grow without it. You can't grow without this book. 1 Peter 2.2 2, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the world that ye may grow thereby. This book is the only way you can grow and you can't grow without it. I'll hire a man that just knows how to change oil and doesn't know how to do nothing else. If all he knows how to do is plug and filter car, plug and filter, plug and filter, plug and filter. I'll hire a man if that's all he knows how to do. But after a year, I'm going to need him to learn some things. I'm going to need him to grow. I'm going to need him to learn. If after a year's time, I, I, I'm expect him to learn how to flush a transmission, how to flush a radiator, how to, how to flush a differential, how to change air filter, how to put on wipers, I need him to know these things. And if, he, if after a year's time, if all he still knows how to do is plug and filter, plug and filter, I'm going to have to hire me somebody else because I need somebody that can grow. I need somebody that can learn. You can't learn. You can't grow without that book. The word of God is vital for growth. We are workmen. We need to know our tool. Number five this morning, the believer is a vessel. Verse number 20 and 21 in 2 Timothy 2. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. You know what God's great demand for his believers are? Is that they're clean and that they're pure. Isaiah 52:11, "Depart, ye, depart, ye, go ye out from thence, touch no unclean thing, go ye out from the midst of her, be ye clean, that bear the vessels of the Lord. And all the things that we think are important, our education, our talents, our influence, none of that means anything to God if we're not clean. None of that means anything to God if we're not clean. For harboring sin in our life and where our, our vessels are unpure and our vessels are defiled and our vessels are dirty. Man, uh, if, is your vessel clean or is your vessel defiled? You know, whatever you put in your vessel, that's what's going to come out. If I put coke in this bottle and pour it out, coke's going to come out. You know, to be unclean is to lose God's presence and lose God's approval. Psalms 51 says, David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. And then he goes on to say, Then will I teach transgressors thy ways. So that means I can't be used until I'm clean. I can't be used until I'm clean. Maybe today you know your vessel's defiled. Maybe today you know your vessel's dirty. Maybe today you know your, you know your vessel's unpure. You're harboring sin in your life and you say, Man, I don't think I can be used of God. I've done dirtied my vessel. I've defiled my vessel. I don't think I can be used of God. I'm here to tell you today, yes, you can. Any vessel can be cleaned. Now it may still bear the marks of being misused. It may still bear the marks of being mishandled. May still have a few scratches on it from a it weathered and worn life. But that's okay. Any vessel can be cleaned any vessel can be used. And a scratched up vessel can hold as much of the Spirit of God as a pristine one can. We are a vessel. Number six this morning. The believer is a servant. The believer is a servant. Verse number 24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive but be gentle unto all men apt to teach, patient. Jesus was a creator. Jesus was God incarnate. Jesus was to be worshipped. And Jesus was to be waited on. And what did Jesus do? He girded himself with a towel and he served his disciples. We too, we are are to serve. A good motto for believers is saved to serve. And you know, if we're servants, we're to act like servants. You know, Paul, many times when he introduces himself in the New Testament, he says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Our word servant is the word doulos. It means to be a slave either voluntarily or involuntarily. A servant is first of all, above all else, yielded to the master. Psalms 40, verses 6 through 8. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou not, hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then I said, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me. I delight to do thy will. O oh my God, yea, thy laws within my heart. You know what David is saying here? David's saying, Lord, I know you don't require an offering. If you would, I'd give it. I know you don't, re- you, the sacrifice isn't what you want. If you was, I'd make a sacrifice. You see, Christian, it's not about how much money you give doesn't impress God. The biggest gesture you can make won't impress God. He wants somebody who's willing to work. Several times in the Bible, you know, Paul was an apostle. He was an apostle. But several, if you'll notice, several times when he introduces himself in the New Testament, he says, Paul called to be an apostle. You see, he never called himself an apostle. But you know what he did call himself? He called himself a servant. That's something he did hold his hand up and say, yep, I'm a servant. I'm willing to work. I am surrendered to him. Romans 12:1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. The servant has a surrendered life. You know how you can tell a servant from others? You look around, they're the ones that are serving. They're the ones that are ready to help. Patiently assisting, gently teaching, extending the helping hand. uh, uh, Servants are patient. Servants are gentle. And uh, servants are willing to work. And number seven this morning. The believer is a husbandman. The believer is a husbandman. Verse number six. The husbandman that laboreth must first be partaker of the fruits. You know, we, we, this is where we have the glory of the harvest. This is where our, we get our reward for our service. You know what Paul said of the people of Thessalonica? He said, ye are my joy, ye are my crown. He, Paul was saying, you people, you're my reward. Romans 8, 17, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be we suffer with him, that we might be glorified also together. Our present toil is nothing compared to the coming glory. You know, I've been out in the field. I've been hoeing the rose. I've been whipping the okra. I've been shucking the corn. I've been burning the stocks. I've been shelling the peas. And man, it's hard work, and it's sweat, and it ain't easy. But then Papa would make Sunday dinner. And man, when Sunday dinner came, ooh, it'd all be worth it. Some crowder peas and some cornbread, some corn on the cob. Sweet Jesus. It's awesome. Good stuff. Yeah, don't forget the watermelon. You know what? One day we'll be glorified with Jesus. And all of our work and all our all, all of our labor. It'll be worth it, because one day, Sunday dinner's coming. John 4, verse 35. Say not ye that there are four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, look unto the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Church needs reapers today. The fields are white on the harvest. There's fruit out there ready to be picked. John 4, 36. And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto eternal life that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. One day the Lord's going to pay up. One day we're going to receive the rewards for our labor. One day you'll see your child whom you led to the Lord or whom you brought to church and someone else led them to the Lord. One day you'll see them in glory. One day you'll see them in heaven. One day you'll see them on the streets of gold and you shall have your reward. One day in glory, somebody's going to come up to you. They're going to shake your hand and they're going to hug your neck and they're going to say, thank you for introducing me to Christ. Jesus saved me. Jesus brought me to heaven. Thank you for introducing me to Him. Then you'll have your reward. Revelation 22.12 And I behold, and behold I come quickly and my reward is with me and I give every man according as his work shall be. You know what the real reward for our labors is going to be? It's going to be the return of Jesus Christ when he comes back All the work will be worth it one day when that eastern sky splits open and our Lord Jesus Christ returns. Whether we're here on the earth watching it or we come through the clouds with Him, that is the day we shall receive our reward. If we've earned those crowns, we'll receive those crowns for our labor, but that's not really our reward. We're going to give those back to Christ. We're going to put that at His feet. He is worthy of those. My reward is going to be Jesus Himself. That's what my reward's gonna be. Even so, Lord, come quickly. Number one, we are sons. And as sons, we should be strong in His grace. Number two, we are soldiers. We should endure hardness. We're called to suffer shame, it's not gonna be easy. Number three, we're contenders. We should strive lawfully. We should strive to keep his word. Set aside that sin that will make us unfit for the race. Lay aside that weight so we can run his course. Number four, we're workmen. We've got to know our tool. Number five, we're vessels. We should be clean. If we've got a dirty vessel, today's the day to clean that vessel out. Number six, we're servants. We should be patient. We should be gentle. And We should be willing to work. And number seven, we're husbandmen. We shall be partakers of the fruits. I can't think of a better fruit than Jesus Christ coming back. You see, a believer is so much more than just somebody who has fire insurance from hell. So much more.